Good morning. <clears throat> so my wife, Joy, and I recently started watching a, a British panel game show called QI. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, but it's a really interesting show, and it has lots of interesting facts and trivia that you kind of learn as you go through the, the show. And uh, on one show, we learned about this interesting true story. On December 26th, 1944, U.S., I'm sorry, um, a Japanese intelligence officer named Hiru Onoda was sent to the Philippines by Japan to protect their interests there. Onoda's order stated that under no circumstances was he to surrender or take his own life. In February 1944, U.S. forces and the Philippine Commonwealth forces took the island, capturing or killing all of the Japanese soldiers there except Onoda and three other soldiers. Onoda continued his campaign as a Japanese holdout and carried out guerrilla activities in the area. He and his fellow soldiers engaged in several shootouts with local police over several months. Then, unbeknown to Onoda and his fellow soldiers, the war ended. So in October 1945, leaflets were dropped on the island, stating the war ended on August 15th, come down from the mountains. Thinking it was a trap, Onoda and his companions continued to hide and carry out their attacks. Many attempts at convincing these soldiers that the war was over were carried out over the years. Eventually, Onoda's companions were either killed or surrendered, and Onoda was left alone. Then, and ready for this, in 1974, with Onoda still hiding on the island and fighting as if World War II were still going on, his former commanding officer, who had long since left the army and was now a bookseller in Japan, <clears throat> learned that he was still alive. So he decided to travel to the Philippines to convince Onoda that the war was over. Onoda had made a, a, a promise to, uh, I'm sorry, not Onoda, the, the commanding officer had made a promise to Onoda 30 years prior saying that no matter what happened, he would come back for them. He actually kept his promise and gave Onoda the long overdue news. The war was over. Can you imagine how relieved Onoda might have felt in that moment? He had been fighting a, a war for over 30 years. A war that was over 29 years prior. Now, I don't know what the interaction between Onoda and his uh, former superior officer was like, but I can imagine the tremendous relief that Onoda might have felt, knowing that he no longer had to fight. The war was over. He could finally rest, relax, sleep, eat a good meal, go home, see his family, put his weapons down, and no longer live in fear. In Romans 10.15, as Dara just read, <clears throat> it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I imagine Onoda felt that way about his former commanding officer. After 30 long years, he was given the good news that it was all finally over. We live in a world where there are people all around us who don't know that Jesus won the war over sin and death 
when he rose from the dead over 2,000 years ago. Even though the Bible says that we are still in a spiritual battle until Jesus returns, the war over sin and death was declared won when Jesus rose from the dead. That war is over. But not everyone has heard that good news yet. A herald is needed to deliver the good news to these people. We are all surrounded by people who need to hear the truth. They need someone like Onoda Superior Officer who will travel into the jungle and tell them that the war is over and that a new life can begin in Jesus. But who's going to tell those people? Who's going to bring the good news? Is it the preachers? Is it the full-time missionaries? Or is it broader than that? Today we're going to be taking a closer look at Romans 10, 14 through 21. This section builds upon what we learned from the first part of chapter 10 that Will preached a couple of weeks ago. And especially flows from verse 12 that says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As we see in verses 14 and 15, if God's salvation is for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, how can people call on God to save them if they have not been moved to believe in him? And how can they believe if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? There can be no call, no belief, no hearing unless someone is sent to share that good news. In verses 14 and 15, Paul goes over the steps that lead to salvation for both Jews and Gentiles. He asks several questions in a reverse order, but perhaps it would be clearer if we actually reverse that order again and looked at it in a new way. First, God sends out his servants. They preach the good news of salvation. Sinners hear God's offer of life in Christ. Some of those who hear believe the message. Those who believe call on the Lord, and those who call on the Lord are saved. At the end of verse 15, Paul quotes Isaiah 52, uh, 7, when he says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What does Paul mean here? In the book of Isaiah, the herald that Isaiah is talking about is bearing good news to Judah about the end of their exile in Babylon and the return to their own land. The feet of the herald were beautiful to them because this good news was so welcome. In all honesty, the feet of the herald were probably quite disgusting and filthy. He brought them a message of good news, but it was those tired, worn, and dirty feet that brought them, brought him to them, and that is what made them beautiful. Those feet were beautiful because they represented the messenger's willingness to be sent with good news. In verse 16, Paul says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Paul's ever-present grief is that the people of Israel did not listen to the gospel. They heard it, but refused to believe and submit to it. 
The failure of Jews to respond to God's warnings of impending judgment was also true in Isaiah's day. Paul quotes from Isaiah 53.1 when he says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Not everyone who hears the good news will respond to it. This was true when Jesus preached, and it was true in Paul's day as well. We can expect the same today. Bringing people good news does not always guarantee a welcome. In verse 17, Paul expresses the main theme of this section when he says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. People need to hear the good news of salvation in Christ in order to believe it. Faith does not respond in a vacuum or respond blindly. Faith is generated by believing what one has been told about God's offer of salvation and trusting the one who has been spoken about. Faith comes to people when they hear our preaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, which is based on the word of God. But hearing isn't enough. A person must hear with an open mind and an open heart and be willing to be shown the truth of God. In this verse, the word hear means more than just hearing with the ears. It's more than just sound waves entering our ear canals, bouncing off our eardrums and vibrating the receptor bones in our inner ear. Yes, I had to Google that. <clears throat> it's far more than that. Hearing in this verse means understanding and receiving the words. Remember Onoda from my opening illustration? He was told that the war was over. In fact, there were many attempts to deliver the good news to him, but he didn't believe it. He heard the message, but he failed to understand and receive those words. In verse 18, Paul asks another question, basically arguing with himself to make a point. He says, but I ask, have they not heard... Essentially, Paul is asking, then what's the problem? Haven't the Jews heard the gospel preached? Paul answers himself by saying, indeed they have. And then he quotes Psalm 19, 4. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It's interesting to note that these words from Psalm 19 are not speaking about the gospel being preached but are speaking of the universal witness of nature that shows the glory of God. But Paul essentially borrows these words and says that they are equally true of the proclamation of the gospel in his own day. Paul is making the point that the gospel has been preached and that Israel especially has had ample opportunity to respond to it. In verse 19... Paul continues his question and answer rhetoric by asking, did Israel not understand? What he's saying here is, yeah, okay, maybe they heard, but they just didn't understand that God's message was about salvation, not by the law, but by faith. And that it wasn't exclusively for the Jewish nation, but it was for the Gentiles too. Paul argues back at this question by quoting from Deuteronomy 32.21. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. 
Here the word foolish means uh, people who did not know or serve the true God. The Gentiles, basically everyone who was not part of the Jewish nation, were an idolatrous people. And hence they had no understanding of the true God of Israel. The Jews would be envious that God would offer salvation to the world at large and not just to his chosen people. Also, the Jews would be angry that the pagan peoples of the world, whom the Jews considered to have no understanding, would be accepted by God. But God did not offer salvation to the Gentiles to reject his people, but rather to cause them to return to him. The scriptures foretold that this would happen. God's blueprint all along was to include the Gentiles in his plan for salvation. Paul continues his argument by quoting Isaiah again, this time from Isaiah 65.1. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. The Gentiles were not looking for God. They were satisfied with their pagan gods. But God showed his mercy by making himself known to the Gentiles. And many Gentiles responded to the message. Relatively speaking, it's safe to say that the Gentiles have responded more than the Jews. And this was especially true in Paul's day. Then Paul concludes this section by moving on to the next verse in Isaiah 65 two. And quotes, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul is explaining here that God has been gracious to his people, patiently holding out his arms for them and calling them back, only to have them disobey and argue with him. God's invitation by his chosen people were rejected. The disobedience of Israel was judged by God welcoming the Gentiles. However, God is still gracious to his chosen people if only they would return to him. He remains faithful to his promises to his chosen people even though they have been unfaithful to him because that is who God is. He is faithful. God still holds out his arms. So as we look back at these verses that we went over today, let's take a closer look at Romans 10, verses 14 through 15. It's a, it's a verse that's often used as a call to missions. How can people hear about God unless someone is sent to preach the good news to them? But in the context of this chapter and book, it's not a complete explanation for what Paul had in mind here. As commentator Douglas Moo says, this text is not encouraging us to send out missionaries. Rather, it is asserting that God has already done so to the Jews. And this is certainly true in the context of the Jews who have heard. God had already sent out peoples like uh, Paul and and, and the other disciples to preach the good news among them. Israel has heard the good news but failed to accept it. This is what Paul is talking about here in Romans 10. However, as Mu also points out, while Paul is not calling here for the church to send out missionaries in these specific verses, he is nevertheless clearly assuming that it needs to be done. 
After all, people cannot believe in Jesus without someone telling them about him. God has decided to share his message with the world through people telling other people about the good news. God's chosen vehicle to get the good news to the ends of the earth is with using people like you and me. Please hear me when I say that we are all called to share this message with the world. This task isn't just for preachers, reverends, or missionaries that are full-time missionaries. This is required of all of us who are Christ followers. Paul teaches that a response to God's word is the only way to salvation, and that sending out people to proclaim that word is God's chosen way to bring the message to the ends of the earth. As a famous evangelist, uh, Billy Graham once said, all around us are people who are lost and separated from their Heavenly Father, and we have a responsibility to tell them about him. So what can we take from these verses from Paul today? If you're taking notes, I have four application points that I'll give you this morning. The first one is this. Be in the word. It's important to remember how crucial it is for us to be in the word of God. As Paul says in verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If faith comes by hearing the word of God, this makes preaching the word from the pulpit of utmost importance. And the hearing of that preaching is also especially important. This is why being a part of a Bible-believing church is so crucial. To grow in faith and deepen your relationship with Jesus, you must be filling your heart and your mind with the very words of God found in Scripture. This should be done by attending church where Scripture is rightly taught, But this should also be accomplished by the regular reading and studying of the Word of God in your own personal life. As the saying goes, don't say God is silent with your Bible closed. If we want to grow in faith, and faith is what the Word of God produces, according to Paul, then we should be in his Word daily. So my first point, if you're taking notes, be in the Word. My second point is this. Be evangelizing. If what Paul says is true, and it is, how can someone come to a saving faith in Jesus unless someone else tells them about him? We all have family, friends, neighbors, co-workers who are still fighting the war like Onoda in the Philippines from my opening story. And these people need to hear that Jesus has won the war over sin. You might say, I'm just not good at evangelism. I've never been able to convince anyone of anything. Well, as John Stott once said, to evangelize does not mean to win converts, but simply to announce the good news irrespective of the results. Our job is to tell people about Jesus. It's God's job to do the rest. We are all missionaries in this world. Some missionaries are called to go to far-off places. Other missionaries stay in their own neighborhoods and share the good news with the people around them. No matter where we are, we are all called to tell people about Jesus and the opportunity for salvation in him.
So, be in the word. The second point, be evangelizing. My third point is this, be missional. In verse 14, Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God is the one who sends, and we are the ones who are sent. What are we doing about it? Whether that mission field is thousands of miles away or next door, we are the ones who are called to share the good news with the people around us. Do we have the beautiful feet that Isaiah ascribed to him who brought the good news? Jesus came with beautiful feet 2,000 years ago, and now it is our privilege and our responsibility to go with beautiful feet to a lost and dying world. So let's recap. Be in the word. Be evangelizing. Be missional. And my last point is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking to those of you today who, like Israel, have heard the good news, but have not yet believed. You have all of the essential ingredients but one. Maybe like Israel, you've, you've heard and you've understood the message, but in your pride, you refuse to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. There's a missing ingredient here, and that missing ingredient is faith. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5-7, to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm sure you've all heard that. Charles Spurgeon explains the verse this way, walking by sight is just this, I believe in myself. Whereas walking by faith is, I believe in God. Like Israel, God is waiting with outstretched arms for you to come to him. God is a patient God. But a time is coming when God's patience will run out. No one knows what tomorrow is going to bring. All you have is today. If God is speaking to you today and you realize that it's time to repent and to walk by faith, I urge you to make that decision before it's too late. So to close today, I want to tell you a little story about when I was a small boy. I grew up in Southern California, and when I was a young boy, my parents would bring me to the Los Angeles County Fair almost every year. There was always lots of fun things to do and see there. I was old enough not to hold my mom's hand as we walked through the fair, but I was young enough to be distracted by everything we passed as we walked through. I'll admit that I do have a touch of attention deficit disorder, and so uh, I was often distracted by shiny objects or uh, interesting gifts from the street vendors. In a lot of ways, I was like that dog from the Disney Pixar movie Up, you know, the one that goes squirrel? Yeah, that was me. Anyway, at one point, a street vendor who was selling puppets on a string uh, caught my attention, and so I stopped to watch. And he was showing the crowd how he could make a fuzzy bird puppet walk along and peck at the ground. I was enthralled. Then suddenly it dawned on me after a few moments, I wasn't with my parents anymore. By the time they noticed that I was not with them, and by the time it dawned on me that they were gone, 
I was legitimately lost. They kept walking, thinking I was still walking with them. So I panicked, and I started yelling for my mom, hoping that she would hear me in the crowd, and she would find me. That didn't work. So I ran off in different directions, hoping that I could find them on my own, but I was unsuccessful. Minutes passed by, and I was still lost, and my parents were nowhere to be seen. Things seemed hopeless, and I was scared, so I began to cry. Finally, a nice employee of the state fair found me and asked me if I was lost. I nodded, yes. So she took me to an office and made a loudspeaker announcement in the fair, saying that she had found a young boy named Chris, and if his parents were looking for him, I like the if, if his parents were looking for him. <laughs> I hope they were looking for me that they should come to the administration office. And thankfully, a few minutes later, my, my flustered and slightly angry parents actually did come and collect me. So why did I tell you this story today? This story is also true of unbelievers. They may not know it at the time because they may still be one, having a wonderful time, but they are lost all the same. Sooner or later, when the Holy Spirit convicts them, they are going to realize that they are lost and that they don't know how to get found. Two things were necessary for me to be reunited with my family. First, I had to recognize my condition. I was truly lost. Second, someone had to show me how I could find my family. This story also illustrates evangelism. The Holy Spirit will convict individuals of their lostness. Once they recognize their condition, that they are lost, they need someone to help them find their way back to God. Like that nice county fair employee did for me all of those years ago. We need to be looking around and seeing the people around us who are lost and need direction. And then we need to help them connect with their true Heavenly Father by showing them the way. As Paul says, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? God chooses you to have the beautiful feet that a herald with genuinely good news has. I'll leave you today with a quote from John Stott from his book, The Cross of Christ. Stott says, it is a remarkable truth that the same God who worked through Christ to achieve reconciliation, now works through us to announce it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for choosing broken vessels like us to share the good news with the world. Help us to be aware of the lost people around us and give us the courage to reach out and share your plan of salvation with them. Give us reminders to be in your word to help grow our faith. Assist us to be missional in our areas of influence, sharing the good news with a lost world. You sent your son to reconcile the world back to you, and now you give us the ministry of reconciliation. Help us to take that responsibility seriously and not to miss the opportunities that we have. We love you and we serve you with all of our hearts. Amen.